you know, it's been a while since I've been able to, to, to be before, uh, up here teaching a little bit. And I got to tell you, it's just it's so fun to be a part of this class. You know, it's a, it's a special little community that we have in here, isn't it? This real life class. It just feels right to be in here on a Sunday morning and uh, sharing our time together. And, and I'm always honored when I'm able to come up here and, uh, and, and speak just a few words. So this morning, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1. Now, Cliff said I was going to preach on the arm, or preach, that's not what I do, uh, teach on the, uh, yeah, look at me, uh, the, uh, on the armor of God, which would be a pretty good guess, obviously, because I teach on that quite a bit. But uh, we're going to actually go to Ephesians chapter 1 today. So if you got your Bibles, your phones, your iPads, your computers, your desktops, whatever you brought with you today, uh, if you would uh, just open that up and we'll go. We, uh, we do that, in, and when Cliff and I do our Bible study uh, class, we, uh, we have everybody bring their computers. I just, I'm waiting for that day that somebody actually does bring a desktop computer in there and set up in the classroom with it. So, hey, let's, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going we're gonna to start with, uh, I've got, I have a lot of the verses on the board this morning, and, and I'll tell you, I do have a number of verses that we're going to look at. I'll prepare you because I kind of want to set, a, a, set up something in, in the beginning. But let's read this prayer to get, are these words from Paul that includes a prayer. From Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 through 18-ish, okay? For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Keep going. Here we go. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Can I just say how much I really, really, really love this passage? You need to know that before we get into it. I just, I absolutely love what Paul writes in Ephesians 1 right here. And we're going to look at it, and you know, it's, this passage, there's no way I'm going to teach this whole passage. Matter of fact, we're really, I'm going to set up something, and then we're going to look at two phrases in all those verses, because there is a lot of meat in there for me. Um, it's, to me, it's kind of like, when I, was, when I was studying it, it's kind of like an Easter egg hunt. You know, when you're a kid, you that Easter egg hunt, and you get out there, and you got your Easter egg basket in your hand, and, and, and they line you all up. Why do they line us kids up, right? They line you up there, ready to go, and you can look out there, and you you can see all the Easter eggs are out in the yard. You can see the one behind the wheelbarrow and the one in the trees and the ones in the grass they've hidden for easy collection, right? And you're just so fired up as, as a kid, right? And they say, go. And then the way I do it, and probably the way Cliff does it, is I'd run over here because I'd see this blue egg, and on the way I'd see a yellow one, and I'd turn over here, and I'd go see the yellow one over here, and then there's a green one, and I'd be running towards it, and I'd turn around, and kids would have like 10 eggs in their basket, and I hadn't even picked up my first one because I would always be running around. That's a lot... You can see that, can't you? You're right. That's how Cliff would do it too, right? That's how both of us would do it. But, you know, the thing about that, that's how this passage is to me. I keep looking at all these little Easter eggs, right? And I go, wow, wow, I want to talk about that a little bit. And then I look over here. And so I focused on two of them. Um, but just know that I'm probably going to spend a lot more time. I, I totally get why Cliff does what he does with these passages because there's just so much in here. What I'm learning, he's teaching me so much about Bible study and, and, and what it can do. And I just go, I get so excited about that. But let's read this again. Let me, let me kind of read this to you this time. Look at the significance of some of these words. For this reason too, we'll look at that. Having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, 
while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And then he says what he prays, and I love this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. I, uh, I, I, man, that is such a powerful statement to me. And I liked it so much. What I'm kind of learning to do uh, when I find a passage that I really, really want to focus on, I will really take time to look at the context, to really sit back and kind of understand the historical. And I definitely wanted to understand maybe the possibility of why Paul chose the words that he chose in this prayer. So what I did, first of all, is I went back and I started at the very beginning. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. That's Ephesians 1, verse 1. Let me make a comment real quick about that. Um, I, I've noticed that many times when, I'm, when I, I find these very first words of a passage in Bible study, it's kind of like the look at when you get a steak dinner. Y'all know what the look at is? Okay, on the look at is they bring you this big old steak dinner, right? Big old platter, huge steak on there, baked potato. And then they bring you this little bitty like green parsley thing, right? And, and a cut up vegetable that looks like a flower, right? That's called the look at, right? Uh, and I know that because my best friend's son named Colby, when he was four years old, they went out and had a big old steak dinner one night. And, uh, and, and they brought the steak. They put it right on the plate in front of, or a table right in front of Jay. And he picked up that parsley and threw it in his mouth and, and ate it. And his little four-year-old son goes, Dad, you're not supposed to eat that. That's the look at, right? You're only supposed to look at it. You don't eat that, right? And so I thought that was great, right? So, so many times I, I treat the beginning of passages kind of like they're the look at, right? And I, I read them, but I don't really do anything with them. And I've kind of learned to slow down just a little bit. And go see if there might be a little something, something in there. I, I agree with him, by the way. Um, I don't know if I told you on that. I agree with uh, Colby about that. The, that's, the, that's my buddy's son. Uh, about that, that theory of, of the look at on the plate. Because I have a theory of vegetables. Have I ever shared with you my theory of vegetables? If you're going to eat green leafy things and vegetables, you've got to have a theory, right? Here's my, my theory is that you don't, I don't eat verbs, okay? If I can do it, I don't eat it, right? So squash, right? I can squash that. I'm not eating that, all right? Okay. All right, don't eat that. That's, that's not good, all right? Here's a big one. Beets? No, no, that's, beets is a verb. You definitely don't eat that, all right? See what I'm saying? You don't eat verbs. And here's, a, here's my last one, okay? Eggplant. Egg is a noun, okay? Plant is a verb. That's way too much grammar. You don't be eating that, all right? Just leave that one alone, all right? So uh, that, that's, that's the look at, all right? So you got to have a theory when you eat vegetables, okay? So <laughs> I just... That's just my world right there, okay? So and Cliff got his, Cliff's got his voices. I got my world, all right? So for the longest time, I treated these passages, the beginning of passages, like they were the look at. And uh, so let's, uh, let's look at this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus. And what caught my attention was in that first line, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. That caught me. Caught my attention. Because it kind of sounds a little bit like the road to Damascus story might be unfolding a little bit there when he's reading that. 
Um, I caught something actually when I was doing my little research that I that I'm that I'm learning to do. Notice that I said learning, okay, not learned, okay. That I'm learning to do. I caught something in Paul's prayer, and it kind of sent me on this journey uh, to get a little bit of the flavor of what happened or what b- began to happen on that road to Damascus with Paul. Um, and and so what I did was I went and started looking at all the verses some of the verses, rather, that talk about what occurred when t- Paul took that famous walk that he took. So let's, I started um, in Acts chapter 9, okay? And in Acts chapter 9, this is where Paul uh, was before in his life, all right? And, and I, I wanted to see what existed in him before his transformation. So in verse, or, uh, Acts chapter 9, we read, Now Saul, let me get my reading glasses on. Here we go. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Lee Strobel talks a lot about the differences uh, that happened to Paul. I mean, we start looking at in the beginning about where he was. I mean, he's, what's he doing? He's breathing out threats and murder. That phrase, breathing threats and murder. I do that in the morning when I look at my wife, you know, because I haven't brushed my teeth yet, that breathing out threats and murder. But this is a little different, isn't it? I mean, he's going after God's people. He's totally focused on eliminating the way, isn't he? And then, uh, so much so that he wants to go and get a letter so that if he finds somebody that belongs to the way, what's he going to do? He's going to bring them to Jerusalem, right? He's going to bring them, not just bring them, not like walk with them to Jerusalem. What's he going to do? Bring them bound to Jerusalem, all right? Both men and women, anybody belonging to that way. This is the focus of Paul at that point. Now, I'm, make, I'm going to make a point, so kind of follow me through these verses a little bit. Then Saul takes the walk, doesn't he? Uh, he walks down that road to Damascus where his life, in my opinion, just completely pivots. And here we're, we're going to continue here. Hopefully I've got it. Yes. I don't know if you can read all that or not. But as he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus, and he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. I love that visual that um, God made uh, blinded Paul to make him see. And I just love how that works. So what happened? What, what did Paul experience on that road to Damascus? What did he experience? Any idea? Jesus, that's right. He experienced the risen Jesus. And, and we, can re- we can look at that in 1 Corinthians. This is what we read when we, when we do communion, right? For I delivered to you As of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. 
After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as one untimely born, he also appeared to me. Paul's life absolutely pivots when he encounters the risen Lord, doesn't it? And there's an irony that kind of comes to me. We started off with a verse that talks about how Paul uh, was breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. But after the pivot, isn't it interesting that as he becomes a disciple, the rest of his life, people breathe out threats and murder against him. Isn't that interesting? I thought that was kind of ironic, all right? Before the pivot, before the pivot in Paul, before that walk down that road to Damascus, Paul was wealthy, he was powerful, he was educated, and he lived a great life in his eyes, right? After the pivot, he was still powerful and educated, but what kind of life did he live? Different kind of life, right? Completely different. Listen, listen to the words of 2 Corinthians 11. Yeah. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and day I've spent on this, uh, I have spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from countrymen, dangers from di- Gentiles. He's in danger, isn't he? Dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers from among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exper- exposure. It's a different life, isn't it? There are many, many words that are really, really cool that kind of describe Paul before the walk down to Damascus. But now the words that are coming to describe him are things like hunted, persecuted, shipwrecked, danger, without, um, exposed. These words came to describe Paul, right? And the really interesting thing to me about that Um, is that these words seem to have zero impact on him. I mean, listen to how his attitude was positioned towards the things he was facing. This is the last verse we're going to look at for just a little bit. Listen, listen, this this one is in uh, Philippians verse 3. But whatever things were gained to me, that's his life before, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but what? Rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. I love that last part. I count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him. So what happened to Paul on that road to Damascus? I mean, this is a drastic, drastic change in his life. He stands against something and then totally changes and stands completely for something. I mean, it's a drastic change. That's the thing that Lee Strobel really talks a lot about in his series, The Case for uh, the Creator, um, or the, um, yeah, The Case for the, no, The Case for Christ is what he's talking about. And as I started to understand, I wanted to really dig into this, right? And this was kind of interesting what happened here. I dug into what theologically happened to Paul on that road to Damascus and beyond, for that matter. And I got to tell you, my eyes were opened up. I started reading some material from N.T. Wright, and I I learned that a lot of the things that I believed about what happened to Paul are are more traditions. And quite frankly, I'm not not qualified to talk about them just quite yet. 
All right, so I'm going to back off. I was going to kind of dig into that and kind of kind of uh, lay that out a little bit before us, but I have a lot to learn there. So I may not know the theological ramifications of what specifically happened to Paul on that road to Damascus, but this one thing I think I can say with pretty, pretty strong confidence. When Paul encountered the risen Lord, it was weird. I said Paul and looked at Paul. That was, that was kind of hot. Hi, Paul. Okay. When, when Paul encountered the risen Lord, something began to exist in him. Something was in him that was not in him before. I can say that with pretty strong confidence. This phrase is very, very significant in the prayer that he writes a little bit later. So that's my point. I've driven to that one point right there. Something came to exist in him that was not in him before. It was powerful. It was more powerful than what was in him before. And suddenly his life became clearer and it changed forever. All right. So let's set the road to Damascus aside for a little bit. Something came to exist in Paul that was not in him before. Now, in the next part of of Ephesians, after verse 2, okay, 1 and 2, Paul goes on to describe all the things that God has done for believers through Christ Jesus. There's words like in him and this big, and man, this is where I've really got to spend some time. This is why there's no possible way I could teach Ephesians chapter one in one lesson. I mean, there's like 50, there's like a year and a half. There's like, there's like Cliff and Axe for a year and a half kind of thing in there, right? So uh, in, in that one. So the, uh, um, but here's the thing that I, that I recognize is that it says in, in Christ, and he describes something that occurs. And in Christ, there's something else that occurs. And in Christ, and he describes all these things. And then the next thing he comes to is our prayer. And let's read it again. And this is why he says, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Oop, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be open. Yeah, I got grumpy old men in there, right? So uh, the, uh, uh, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, that you may know what are the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints, and what is, the, uh, what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? Just realized I forgot to put that slide in there, okay? So uh, anyway, that's why he prayed that. Um, and uh, there are two parts of this, of this passage that I really wanted to look at, okay? Um, I really, really understand why, why Cliff slows up when, he, when, when these tools that he's teaching me just you can't help but slow up because there's just so much material. Again, it's like that Easter egg. So these are my two little Easter eggs that I got to, uh, if you will. And the first phrase is that I do not cease giving thanks for you. Paul writes, for this reason, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That phrase, do not cease giving thanks for you, that's the one, that's the Easter egg I went with. Why in the world would I go for that one, right? I don't know why. I mean, it just, it's the phrase that just kind of captured my attention. I thought, well, I saw all the Easter eggs out there. I wanted chasing after them. But the one I kept coming back to is, the first one I came back to is, don't cease giving thanks for you. And the reason I did is because it doesn't seem to fit the flow of language from Paul to me. It's like he throws that in there. 
Uh, and and, and I, that's when I've always learned to pay attention. When I see something that doesn't seem to fit, I always stop and investigate it a little bit more. And I always find that little nugget. Um, so I use the tools. So I focused on this phrase, do not cease giving thanks for you. Have I said that enough in here? All right, yeah. Um, so I use the tools that Cliff has been teaching me. I went through all the definitions. Let me see. I think I may have this one, actually. Oh, no, we'll get to that in a minute. Okay. I really want to go to that slide. Have you noticed? All right. So, all right. So, uh, so I, I use the tools that I've been learning to employ. Okay. And guess what? There wasn't a whole lot in there. The definitions didn't do a lot. You know, we look at things like tense. We look at things like mood, the type of statement that we're looking at. And, and so this, uh, this, uh, this phrase is not, a, it's not an imperative statement. Paul is not making a command here, do not cease giving. It kind of sounds like one, though, doesn't it? Do not cease giving thanks. But if you look at it in the context, it's just a declarative statement. In other words, um, Paul's not making a command. It's just simple, descriptive language that, quite frankly, as I looked at it, becomes it's descriptive language from a wise dude named Paul that becomes good advice for you and I. I do not cease giving thanks to you. So I, here's what I did. I put everything aside, okay, that I had learned from Cliff. And, and based on the evidence I had, here, here's what I did. This, this is very technical, what I did next in, in, in uncovering something in this phrase. You know what I did? I sat down and I thought about it. Who knew, right? <laughs> I sat down and I actually thought about it all on my own little lonesome self, right? Listen, I take great joy. You need to hear that. I take great joy into digging into these passages and finding those little nuggets of flavor that really expand a passage to me. I take great joy in that. It's, it's becoming more and more fun the more I do it. But sometimes you find a bit of scripture that's a nugget all by itself, and I think that's what this is. So I sat down and I merely contemplated this one question. Do I give thanks in my prayers for the fellow believers in my life? Do I do that? Do I stop and give thanks for my fellow believers in my life? Because this is who Paul is writing this to, isn't he? I mean, it says it, for this reason too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and the love for your saints do not cease giving thanks for you. So he's writing this to believers. Um, and what does Paul say about his prayer? What kind of prayer is it? It doesn't cease, right? And that's the part that got to me. Because I can tell you, I'm a grateful person. Not every day, especially at 5 o'clock when I'm trying to get home in the car. Not very grateful then, right? But, um, at, but generally speaking, I, I am a grateful person. But what I needed to hear were the words, do not cease. Think about that. This is my community, the, the fellow believers in my life. This church, do I give thanks without ceasing for those people? I thought that was really interesting. So why did Paul write that? I do not cease to give thanks. It, it just didn't seem to fit, like I said. And so I sat down and I thought a little bit more about it. I got to start doing this more often. This sitting and thinking thing kind of works, right? You know, let me encourage you to do that, right? So here's what came to mind. This is the very first comment that Paul makes after he describes everything that God has done for us. The very first point he makes in his letter, which has got to be important, right? You don't, you know, the first thing you write is something that you just can't wait to get to generally in a letter. So when he does his introduction, sets it all up, and the first thing he says is, I don't, get, I don't stop giving thanks for you. And I wonder, what would happen if every day that I prayed, 
I took just a small portion of my prayer time and remembered to be thankful for the people, uh, the believers specifically in my life. What would happen to them? You ever thought about that? If, you know, why do we give thanks is a question I've got to focus on. Right? I understand that I, I love being thankful, but what would happen to the believers in my life if I, if I gave thanks for them in my prayer? What would happen to their attitude? What would happen to their perspective? What would happen to their life? And then what would happen to me? What would happen to my perspective and my attitude in my life if I simply took just a few minutes of my daily prayer time and gave thanks for the community of believers that I have been blessed with? What would happen? What could happen? Now I get to get to my slide, right? Look, here we go. I love this. Remember the movie Grumpy Old Men with Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon? That's a picture from that. If you've forgotten the language of gratitude, you'll never be on speaking terms with happiness, right? I like that one. If you've forgotten the language of gratitude, you'll never be on speaking terms with happiness. Let me share this with you real quick, too. Here's a, some facts I, I found about being thankful. A 1995 study in the American Journal of Cardiology showed that appreciation and positive emotions are linked with changes and heart rate variability. This may be beneficial in the treatment of hypertension and in reducing the likelihood of sudden death, hello, in patients with congestive heart failure and coronary artery disease. There are health benefits to being thankful. You want to sleep better? Look at this next one. Writing down what you're thankful for as you drift off to sleep can help you get better Z's, according to a study. Specifically, researchers found that when people spent 15 minutes jotting down what they were grateful for in a journal before bedtime, they fell asleep faster and stayed asleep longer. Maybe I need to put aside the Ambien and the Lanesta and take a dose of thankfulness, right? Maybe I sleep a little bit better, right? I kind of like that one. Here's another one. Better teammate, all right? We could, listen, we not, I gave up playing soccer. I'm 51 years old, had to do that, right? But I can be a good teammate still, right? I'm still a good teammate in this community of believers. Here's one. Athletes are less likely to burn out and, and more likely to experience high life satisfaction and team satisfaction when they are grateful, according to a 2008 study in the, of social indicators. And here's the final one. You want to feel better? Be thankful. Look at this. Gratefulness is linked with optimism, which in turn is linked with better immune health, WebMD reported. For example, a University of Utah study showed that stressed out law students who were optimistic had more immune boosting blood cells than people who were pessimistic. Thankfulness. Suddenly, Paul right in that comment, let me share real quickly. When I used to teach the anger management class, there was a study about, this is the difference between anger and thankfulness right here. But consider this. They did a study of um, a, a a prospective study on law students. Both of those are law students. That's interesting. Okay, on law students, right? And uh, what they, they ranked all of these law students. They ranked them in, you know, where their anger scale was. So you had the top 25. These were the most angry people. Then there's a, a group below them. There were 25%. They were not as angry, but still really angry. And then 25% below them. And then 25%. They ranked them into 25% groups. 20 years later, they came back and looked at this and did a, a retrospective study on the same law students. There's a whole bunch of them in this group. You know what they found out? In the most hostile group, the top 25%, 20% of them at, after 20 years were dead compared to 5% in the lowest anger management group. 
And then you read about immune health and being grateful, and it boosts our energy. There's something to this. Maybe this is part of the reason why, why Paul did this. So here's what I did. I gave, my, I gave my, uh, this little concept a trial. I prayed and thanked God, number one, for my believing wife. I'm truly thankful for her. Why in the world am I not praying to God about that more often, right? And I have thanked him for her. But it's that word cease that I, that I miss, right? Do not cease giving thanks. She's in my life more than anybody. So I, I stopped and I thanked God for her during the week. I thank God for giving me someone to share my life with. I thank God for the way she loves me. I thank God for the big things she does for me. I thank God, baby, for the little things you do for me. And guess what happened? I was thankful for my wife. Go figure, right? It really had a big impact on me. Our day together went better. Hello? You hear Billy Crystal in the background? Hello? Right? So <laughs> I wish I could tell you I did that every day. I wish I could, I, I could apply that word ceasing. But uh, so I, I started focusing on it a little bit more. I, I thanked God for my friends. I thanked God for my employer. Okay, I thank God for the people in this church I think I really I, I thanked God for the people in this class. I'm thankful for you all. You make me feel great when I walk in here on Sunday mornings. And, and when I'm able to, people just, they come up and stick their hand out to me and, and shake my hand, right? And they tell me how, how glad they are to see me and they mean it. I'm thankful for that, aren't you? I need to be praying for that. Look, I think, you, it, all right, get ready. You can be thankful for Doug Wilson, okay? Dougie right there. Love, I know Doug, right? You know what Doug does for me? Here's why I'm thankful for Doug. Doug texts me at least, at least once a month and invites me to supper, right? I love that word, supper. He's the only guy I know that uses it, right? Usually we go to dinner, right? Doug goes to supper, and I like going to supper. He's invited me to so many things. He lets me know that I'm important in his life, Right? And so, you know, and I always feel bad, Doug, because, you know, half the time I can't go, right? But he always sends me these texts. He's consistent about it. He sends me texts and he says, and, and, and invites me. that We've been to soccer games. We've been to play golf. We've been to dinner. We've done some things together. Doug, I'm thankful for you, man. Oh, yeah, that's right. Sorry, it's supper. I said it wrong, right? I'm not, not as thankful for you right now. So, uh, <laughs> so anyway, all right, just kidding. I, I love me some Doug Wilson, right? So what if this week we gave this a try? Maybe, maybe this week when we go to sleep, maybe you thank God for the believers in your life. Maybe you sleep better. Again, maybe you put away the Lanesta and take a dose of, uh, d- dose of thankfulness instead. Or maybe this week when you wake up, another, another spin on that, maybe your perspective for that day is better. And uh, maybe you become a more grateful person. What would be wrong with that, huh? Think about it. What if we were more, what if all of us as believers what if all of us were more grateful for all of us? What would that do? All right, let's shift gears a little bit because I want to get to this next part because I get really excited, all right? Let's get into the words from Paul. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his. Hear the word his in there all the time. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And I'll let this last one. What is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? I mean, I, I really, really like this. You know, those three things, I'm, I'm not going to focus on those because each one of those are powerful enough to be a lesson in its own right. And I'm probably going to spend some time to, to look at those. It's those first 
11 words, though, that I've got bold on the screen there that really tugged on me, and I dug my heels in. When I get that tug, I, I, I stop. I got that tug on, on that phrase. So I got the tug, so I dug, right? So uh, um, listen closely uh, to the words that Paul writes. Okay, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. I've sung those words. See if you remember these lyrics. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Say them with me if you know it. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. To see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and love as we sing. What? Holy, holy, holy. How many times have you sung that in a worship service, right? So what did Paul mean by these words? I mean, they're not literal, okay? In case you're wondering, there are no eyes on the heart. I have an anatomy coloring book, okay? And it tells me that, all right? There really is an anatomy coloring book. They use it for sales reps a lot of times in the medical business. It's very detailed. I turned to the heart page and made sure there are no eyes on the heart, right? So what is Paul saying by that, okay? Um, what are meant by these words? Remember, it's written to believers. For this too, having heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints. So the, there's three words in this little phrase that is bold up here that is very significant to me. The eyes. Number one, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. The eyes are the portal. When you look at the definition of that word in the Greek, and I love doing this part. Listen, blue letter Bible, write it down. Blueletterbible.org. Look at it. And pull down, and you, and you go in there, and you touch the verse, and it'll have an interlinear section. Touch that, and it'll show you every Greek definition of every word in the Bible. It's really, really fast, okay? I can get it up before Cliff can say one of these, and I like holding my phone up like, hey, I'm checking up on you. He always has it right anyway. You know that, right? So the eyes, they're the portal, okay? The heart. Heart is a real interesting word. It, it, it's like the destination of, it, it's like the deepest part of who I am individually. The word, I looked up, the word heart is used over 800 times in the Bible and never one time, not one time, is it used to describe the physical pump. The word heart here is talking about the deepest, most inner part of who we are as individuals. Who I am, that is the heart, okay? And then I got to my favorite word, enlightened. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And listen to the definition of this, because I'm going to pull it all together right here, okay? It says, to cause something to exist and come to light and become clear to all. That was the definition in Bible, blueletterbible.org. Uh, blue blue letter, I can't say that, blueletterbible.org, right? To cause something to exist. That's what enlightened me. Now, remember what we determined about Paul on the road to Damascus. I don't know a lot about his theological things that occurred to him, but it's pretty clear that something came to exist in him that did not exist before. And here he is praying to us about enlightenment that means causes something to come into existence. Is it possible that Paul is praying for the same thing that happened to him to happen to you and I? Consider the changes in, 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 in the details of his life, okay? Consider the definitions of the words that we look like. Is it possible that Paul is saying to believers, and I'm gonna read this, okay? I want you to see what I am seeing, okay? 
So I pray that what came to exist in me comes to exist in you. I pray that the deepest part of your existence, the best of who you are created to be, catches the vision of what God has for you. Is that maybe what Paul is saying to us about that word enlightenment? Because Paul goes on to say that when this occurs, you know what is the hope of his calling. You don't wonder about it, you know it. When this enlightenment occurs, you know the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. You don't hope that that exists. You see it like it's right in front of you. When the eyes of your heart are enlightened, you know the surpassing greatness, the surpassing greatness of his power towards you because you believe. You don't merely understand he has power for you. You know the power. You feel it. According to Paul's life example, when the eyes of your heart become enlightened, it changes you. You go out and you live your life. You're grateful for your life. You're engaged in life. But your journey's different when your eyes are enlightened. I don't know about you all, but I need that prayer in my life. I really do. I need that prayer. I need the 11 words that, I, that, that Paul prays for believers. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Chris needs that. The 11 words that Paul prays here for believers are a possibility that in my mind cannot be matched, at least in, in, in my mind, okay? I don't know that I can overstate that. You ever seen a movie trailer and, and you go watch this movie trailer and get really, really excited about the movie and you go and see the movie and it's just terrible? It wasn't what you thought it was gonna be? I don't think I can do that with the words of this prayer right here. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. I, I just... I just don't think I can overstate it. Paul was a changed man. He faced many things in his life, obviously, that were so incredibly difficult. And I'm not going to say that these things didn't challenge him, right? But Paul wasn't focused on what his physical eyes saw. After that road to Damascus, he was focused on what the eyes of his heart saw, wasn't he? And that's what I pray happens to me and what I pray happens to you. Paul was not focused on what his physical eyes saw. He was focused on what the eyes of his heart had been enlightened to see when he went on. So what I want to do real quick as I close, I want to play this video. Hopefully it's going to play, right? And just show you what happens when somebody comes to be able to see. You don't even have to turn the lights off, I don't think. Let's just see if it works. This guy who hadn't been able to see for 25 years. So that's what Yvonne looks like. Hello. You're you're pretty. We know. Oh wow. I'm Chris. Wow. You can take my glasses off here. Okay. Now you have to work. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah. Just do a demo Sorry. Oh, it's amazing. I know. I can't even imagine. What's it like, Mark? Eye opening. Wow. I've known Tom all these years and never knew what he really looked like. Uh oh. <laughs> so, so that's the verdict. I'm really old. <laughs> Good looking guy. Just oh, my great goodness. hair. Oh, 
Ah, uh, I'm tearing up. <laughs> What if this next week we all prayed for each other? What if we, like Paul, went before the God of possibility? And what if we did not cease for one week to giving thanks for our community of believers? And what if this week we just took a few moments in the midst of our busy week, in the midst of our prayers, and prayed that the eyes of our hearts be enlightened. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that first of all, that our eyes can be enlightened. That you didn't become, that you didn't create us rather and leave, leave us alone to try to figure things out all by ourselves without your involvement. That if we do pray to you, Father, and if we do follow you, if we are believers, you will enlighten us. That is an incredible gift that has no way, there's no way we can describe the impact of that on us. So I pray that for each of us today, that as we get up and as we leave this room today, that this morning, that you would throughout this week remind us first of all to be thankful for each other, Father, and to pray for each other that our eyes would be open. But I pray specifically through your Holy Spirit right now, Father, that you would open the eyes of our heart. We pray this in the powerful name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Have a great week.